At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life. Welcome Baptist Health Talk podcast listeners. I'm Dr. Jonathan Fialco, a preventive cardiologist at Baptist Health's Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute and Chief Population Health Officer at Baptist Health South Florida. Alcohol is all around us at family dinner, Sunday brunch, or even get-togethers with friends. Some studies even say that drinking wine in moderation is good for your health. So we may have a drink or two in a social occasion without even thinking about it. But there are studies linking drinking alcohol with cancer, hypertension, and other medical conditions, even when done in moderation. Long-term use can cause serious health complications, and you don't have to suffer from alcoholism to experience those consequences. It's important to note that alcoholism is a disease. It's chronic, progressive, and sometimes fatal in nature, and it affects an estimated 17 million adults in the United States. April is Alcohol Awareness Month, and on a recent episode of Baptist Health's Resource Live, I spoke with a panel of experts about the effects of alcohol, no matter how much you drink, and how to help a loved one who's battling alcoholism. My guests were Dr. Thomas Hammond, neurologist with the Marcus Neuroscience Institute, Dr. Caitlin Elsbeth Ross, family medicine physician with Baptist Health South Florida, and Dr. Kevin Wambler, Chief Medical Officer of the Advanced Recovery Systems. Let's listen in. Um, let's start off with asking um, Caitlin, uh, Dr. Ross, a question. We know that alcohol, um, its impact on our body starts from the moment we take our first sip, but clearly there's a difference between social drinking and more problematic drinking. Um, an occasional glass of wine with dinner, not really a cause for concern, but these have cumulative effects. Uh, and, and alcohol is beer as well as spirits and wine. Let's talk a little bit about the medical effects. What are these cumulative effects of constant uh, alcohol consumption? So chronic alcohol consumption can lead to alcoholism. So that's often marked by uncontrolled drinking and an overall preoccupation with alcohol. So people who suffer from alcoholism will continue to drink, even when drinking causes negative consequences in their life, which we'll get into in a little, in a little more detail later. But they, may, they usually know that their alcohol use is causing, um, is, is causing these negative effects in their life, but the, those consequences aren't enough to actually get them to stop drinking. Uh, social drinking can progress to alcoholism when someone starts drinking at an increased frequency. And usually they start drinking more in one sitting as well. Um, and their body eventually starts to become dependent on alcohol. What, what would be the more common medical things that we see? I mean, I know as a cardiologist, People don't associate hypertension with alcohol and even moderate alcohol can affect one's blood pressure, sleep disturbances. But what are the more severe medical conditions that, that you may see in your practice um, that might make you think of, of alcohol related issues? So the more severe things would be something like liver damage. People can have neurological complications, which I know we'll talk about later. It can be associated with a lot, a lot of, um, this usually isn't caused by alcoholism, but they can go, they can be tied in a lot of uh, psychological issues, depression, anxiety, um, again, sleep disturbances, like you mentioned, and then a lot of accidental traumas as well. So, so again, affects quality of life, affects all the parts of the body, can affect mental states, sleep, many parts of our, um, our daily routines and health. Um, to Dr. Hammond, um, Dr. Um, Dr. Ross mentioned neurological components. Um, what are the more common um, neurological complications we see with consistent and, and excess drinking? And I guess there are two different things, just regular drinking and then the real excess. And we'll define that at some point. 
Well, obviously, acute intoxication can cause all sorts of troubles. I mean, if people drink too much, they get into auto accidents. We see them as head injuries, uh, falls where they, you know, they, they're, they've lost their balance a little bit and they trip and fall or injure themselves. So the, 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 the acute intoxication or when people drank more than they, they thought they did <laughs> or and that kind of thing, that's, that's the, the, the acute stage stuff. Then there's the issues of chronic effects on the nervous system. If one gets into drinking regularly, then, then the peripheral nervous system gets affected. This causes numbness and tingling in the feet and, the, and, and, and an impairment of balance because the longer nerves in the body get damaged by, by the persistent alcohol effect. Then there's uh, the cerebellum, which is a balance area in the brain that gets affected particularly adversely with chronic alcoholism. That's another reason for balance impairment. Uh, one of the reasons the, the police put you through that walking the straight line business is, <laughs> is because the balance system gets impaired with alcohol. Um, and then there's cognitive issues. The, uh, the uh, cognition declines somewhat and uh, there's there's a chronic alcohol dementia called Korsakoff syndrome, which uh, is, a, is, is a true problem. But um, there was a fascinating study done in Britain called the British Alcohol Study that ran from like 1985 through 207, 2017. And, and they followed 550 people over all those years regarded related to their alcohol use. And in the last 10 years, they elected the the thickness of the memory cortex in the brain, and they also gave people memory tests. And the people who were teetotalers actually had the, the healthiest looking brain out of the bunch. And even the people with a few drinks a week had some shrinkage of their cortex, but the people you know, who had you know, four, four, three or four or five drinks a day uh, had substantial decrease in memory cortex. So the memory declines a bit over years if you continue to drink. When in your practice, do you see people that come to you for specific neurological complaints and you then are able to make the diagnosis that perhaps it's alcohol related or is it pretty much determined before people get to you? Uh, well, it's a lot of people that are closet drinkers, drinkers. They, 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 it's been somewhat hidden and you have to broach the topic of, you know, what, what, what is your, what is your usual consumption? You know, do you drink a little bit every day? Do you only drink on weekends? Uh, but the people who are, are persistent or mostly daily drinkers, uh, you always have to try and chase that around a little bit and see whether or not they're, they, they actually are drinking more than they, the family is aware of. Because usually we see them because of balance problems or memory issues. That's the commonest issue for me. Um, Caitlin, you mentioned in some of your introductory comments some of the things that might differentiate someone who we would consider a safe social drinker, even though there might be some medical consequences with someone who might have a problem. Um, this is a very serious conversation, but one of the, 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 the jokes we use in the medical practice is, how do you define an alcoholic? And the answer is someone who drinks more than a doctor. And what it basically means is it's hard to define what truly determines someone who you know, really has, has alcoholism. So how do you in your practice and what can you report regarding how we can help people determine if they or a loved one really has the level of alcohol consumption that becomes really a, a concern? Well, exactly. That's a good point. Because one of the things that you know, we kind of note is a lot of alcohol abuse can start with some of these episodes of, of binge drinking and episodes of acute intoxication. And that's where you're at risk for some of these more short-term injuries that, you know, like the motor vehicle accidents or acute trauma or um, impaired judgment, or you might engage in activities you wouldn't otherwise engage in. And those are things that can have long-term consequences or even fatal consequences. But over time, 
um, generally people increase the frequency of their alcohol abuse and uh, um, sort of develop a emotional sort of relationship with alcohol. So often, instead of just going out every once in a while and drinking to have fun, they'll start to to start using alcohol to the um, in order to avoid boredom or relieve stress, relieve anxiety, improve their mood. So it eventually result in more frequent drinking, but also can result in, in a dependency on drinking, both the psychological dependency to the point where someone starts using drinking as a coping mechanism for one of these issues. And that's when, 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 you know, risky alcohol behavior can result, can become a more long-term chronic problem like alcoholism. Also people start to develop a more physical dependency on alcohol. So people can start developing tolerance to alcohol. You'll notice you'll need a few more drinks at one time to reach the same level of, of buzz or intoxication that they had before. And they start developing withdrawal symptoms when they're not drinking alcohol. And all of these are, are signs of, of chronic alcohol use and a, a more severe problem. Um, Dr. Wandler, let's, um, let's, let's bring you into the conversation. Um, specifically, um, we mentioned alcoholism is a disease and it can affect anyone, any age, gender, ethnicity, big people, small people, has nothing to do with religious beliefs and whatnot. Um, we can't really predict anyone's drinking habits, but there are factors that have been shown to be more reliable and who might be abusing alcohol, might have a tendency to abuse alcohol. Can you talk a little bit about what those risk factors are for alcoholism when it actually becomes a problem? Yeah, I mean, alcoholism, like you said, uh, touches everybody. Everyone's family practically has someone in it who has uh, knows someone who has alcohol use disorder, alcoholism. I think the things that we see, um, I've been in this field for a very long time. So the things we see are really early drinking. So, I mean, there's kids that are 11, 12 years old that are drinking on a regular basis. or usually binge drinking at that point, and then it develops into regular drinking. If someone starts drinking, say at 15, before 15, they're probably four or five times more likely to develop alcohol use disorder, alcoholism, than someone who waits until they're 20. And, or 21 when it's legal, right? Um, but then it's been mentioned, you know, it's there's genetics with this and um, probably, I don't know, four times more likely to develop an alcohol use disorder if you have a family member who has an alcoholism and that's huge. And then there's all the, what we call trauma today. You know, there's the dysfunctional family, whatever that means, broken homes, divorce. Um, you know, if, if a family member, if a parent, has an alcohol use disorder, their parenting skills may not be quite as good or they may not be engaged as much. I think Dr. Ross mentioned depression and anxiety and that's genetic as well. Um, and so someone who has, you know, sometimes for me, it's hard, I'm a psychiatrist, so it's hard to de decipher what came first, the chicken or the egg, i.e. depression, anxiety, or substance use disorder or trauma. You know, it's all tied in um, with that. Native Americans have the highest usage of alcohol use disorder, and then Caucasians are next, and then Latinos are, are third, at least in the United States is how that works. For someone who might have a tendency to become an alcoholic, a true problem drinker, a dependence, um, is there a difference between beer and wine or uh, liquor? Um, is one a higher trigger than the other? I, I don't think so. I mean, you know, we look at, we define an alcoholic beverage as 12 ounces of beer 
or five ounces of wine or a shot of a hard liquor, such as vodka, gin, whiskey, whatever. And so that's, they're all equal. Uh, that being said, if you have an empty stomach <laughs> and you drink three shots of, uh, of whiskey, uh, then you're more likely to feel that because you can't really chug three beers quite the same you know, time. You know, the, the, the guidelines we have for women, now women get cheated on this, is really one alcoholic beverage a day is all they should consume, and now more than seven in a week. Uh, men somehow are, are given double that, so males can drink two alcoholic beverages a day and not be considered officially a problem, or um, for, no more than 14 drinks a week. And, and even that's conventional wisdom, it's a rule of thumb, but you have to individualize the person's response well, right. And a lot of people drink five drinks in one day, you know, and then they go a few days without drinking anything. But if you do five times three, you've hit 15 and you've exceeded what's considered, quote, safe for men. So, so to that point, that's a good segue to a question for Dr. Ross. Um, um, and again, I think this is per- certainly important for the viewer, but maybe a loved one of the viewer that they may recognize and be able to help someone. So can you speak a little bit to the different you know, stages, if you will, of, of, of what may lead to uh, an alcohol dependency? So generally, one of the first stages is, is binge drinking. So that I know we talked about the, the recommendations for men and women. Binge drinking is defined as four drinks for women and five drinks for men over the span of about a few hours. And it's generally the amount that, um, that can make you acutely intoxicated. And this, um, this is when you can sort of experience some, some of the negative consequences from some of these accidental injuries we had mentioned earlier. People may in, in, be involved in accidental falls, motor vehicle accidents, drowning, their judgment's impaired. They may engage in activities they would not normally do, like spend money, have unprotected sexual intercourse, or engage in other drug use. Um, so some of these complications from binge drinking can be some of the first signs that someone's having a, um, a, a problem with alcohol. Caitlin, if I, if I can interrupt before you go to the second point, does it matter if they're doing it on their own, watching TV, or if they're out socially with friends? No, it does not matter. It's the same amount, it's the same amount of alcohol and it's the same, it's basically the amount to make you intoxicated. So you're right. In some cases, some of these um People might not experience the same consequences if they're at home drinking this amount. Maybe they're they have less opportunity to become involved in any kind of accidents. So it might be a little, it could be a little bit harder to identify depending on the situation. But that's sort of the amount that they give you, the four drinks, five drinks in one sitting. So the binge drinking, the binge drinking would be the first step. Apologize for interrupting. Um right, right. Yeah. And then the step the second step is kind of moving on to increased amount of increased frequency of drinking. So instead of maybe you know, binge drinking every once in a while, going out to a party, you start doing it every weekend or even every day. And again, this can be the kind of thing going out with friends or doing it by yourself. Um, So this increased drinking can progress to what we call problem drinking. That's the next step. And that's when people, um, not only are they drinking a lot and maybe having episodes of, of binge drinking where they're acutely intoxicated, but they start experiencing negative consequences in their life. So this could be problems at work, school, relationship problems, legal problems, financial problems. Some of this can be stuff that's related to their behavior while they're intoxicated. Um, And other signs of of problem drinking can 
include like a change in their friend group behavior or increased social acti activity or even social isolation. So it's sort of important to note that a lot of these behaviors can be a little bit harder to identify during the pandemic when we've all kind of been socially isolated at home um, and I'm working from home as well. People may not be having some of the same negative consequences with you know work or legal troubles or that kind of thing. but. Um, but that's still sort of one of the hallmarks of problem drinking when you start. And, you know, and also we start experiencing health complications as well. Um, the, the next stage would be what we call alcohol dependence. So that's not only are you, are you drinking a lot and really, you know, your life is suffering because of it, but your body's physically dependent on the alcohol. So you, it's really become part of your routine. You've lost control over your alcohol consumption. Um, it's not really an activity anymore. It's more of a coping strategy to sometimes relieve some of this anxiety, stress, or, or sort of whatever it is that maybe got you started to starting to increase your frequency of alcohol use. People may do stuff like lie about their alcohol use, hide, like physically hide bottles of alcohol or something like that. So you could notice some of that behavior. And they also may start acting, developing withdrawal, symptoms of with, withdrawal, like tremors, irritability, nausea, palpitations, sleeping issues when they're not drinking. So you might notice a change in someone, you know, if they're acting differently in the morning or, or something like that, or even um, some people start maybe having alcohol in the morning. This is something they might be more likely to hide, but that's definitely a sign of, of um, alcohol dependence. And this eventually leads to, to an addiction to alcohol when someone really has the psychological, physical need to drink and they really feel like they need to drink alcohol to feel normal and feel better. So um, it's great information, and it's not as if a switch is flipped and you go from one stage to the next. It actually can be a very gradual transition, which is why self-reflection or looking at others and you're looking you know, to support loved ones is important. It was binge drinking, increased drinking, problem drinking, alcohol dependence, and then the true addiction and alcoholism is the, uh, the transitions. Um, Dr. Hammond, um, Talk a little bit about what happens when people are drinking, um, which makes them kind of want to drink the, the pleasure and, and, and some of the other components of that. If you can speak a little bit towards, you know, what happens to the brain when someone is, is drinking? Yeah, yeah the, the, the neurobiology uh, research and alcohol um, use disorder is, has been uh, quite interesting. There are three major brain structural areas that get affected. The the basal ganglia are, are deep structures in the brain which uh, play a big role in the reward system for the brain, okay? So uh, this is where your pleasure centers are, so to speak. And alcohol, like other addictive uh, drugs, uh, tickles that area very well. And uh, the pleasurable sensation for you get a little bit of a high from having uh, alcoholic beverage uh, uh, triggers the need or the desire for more of it. Uh, there, there's another brain area called the amygdala complex, which, which, which uh, has a little bit to do with the, the, the negative aspect of alcohol, the withdrawal of the, the when, when it comes out of your system, a little bit of how you behave to that. Uh, anxiety that can happen as, as, the, as the drug leaves your system. And then there's, the, then there's the, the third part of this package is called the prefrontal cortex. That's really where your behavior control is. That's your executive function. That's where your, that's where, you know, your control centers for your behavior are. And that's where you actually develop an anticipation uh, or, you know, the thought about the next drink. And that, that, that's how, how the addiction end up actually happens as time goes on. 
I think the uh, I think the public should be aware that than adolescence uh, the the brain is much more susceptible to addiction or the addiction addictive capacity of alcohol like it is with other drugs and and of a of a of a teenager uh, or if I decide to start drinking <laughs> there's about a 10% 10 or 11% chance I become addicted to alcohol I'm not young anymore <laughs> not adolescent but an adolescent decides to do that it's about a 30% chance they get addicted. So it's almost a threefold increase in, in the addictive uh, uh, capacity for the use of drugs. The, the, the brain wiring gets uh, set up a little bit uh, by the reward system, you know, to really enjoy it. And then uh, before you know it, they don't like the withdrawal part. And then, uh, and then the, the prefrontal cortex gets, uh, gets to uh, anticipate the next drug. And uh, so the, your, your, your frontal cortex has to control your behavior and that's where you can get into trouble by inappropriate decisions in terms of what's going on when you're drunk it's hard for someone who has alcohol dependency to to, to quit drinking um why is it so important for someone suffering from alcoholism why why can't people just say you know well you know, it's not good for me i'm gonna i'm gonna give this up it's a chronic disease um you know i work with um with alcoholism that's what i do and, and drug dependency we have, you know, a center that we're partnered with Baptist Hospital uh, near West Palm Beach, and we have an outpatient clinic also really close to the main campus of Baptist. Um, and so we are working with people, trying to get them the help they need. Sometimes we have to use family members, you know, or loved ones or their partner or whatever to help get them into treatment because um, they don't want to give up that, that pleasure they have. For those that, like Dr. Ha um, Dr. Ross said, have gone to the very severe end, you know, I mean, stopping drinking, their body starts reacting negatively. It's called withdrawal, and and it's uncomfortable. Um, they may start shaking. They may, you know, start throwing up, diarrhea, uh, headaches, um, cardiac issues. And for someone who's been drinking a long time and a lot of alcohol, I mean, they can go into a very serious. Um, state called uh, delirium tremens or DTs as we call it, which is a medical emergency. They have to go to the ICU to be treated. And I think, I think part of that take home point again is, is it's a disease. It's a dependency. We don't judge in my practice. I tell people who smoke, I don't judge you. You're addicted to cigarettes. Let's try and work to figure out how we can help you um, get rid of that dependency. It's not something that the person may even want to continue smoking. Someone with alcoholism. So um, question from the audience, Dr. Ross related to that. Um, if someone's seen a friend go from a social drinker to drinking a bottle of wine every night or more, how can a loved one, how can someone help a loved one who has a drinking problem get help and go to treatment? So one thing you can do is just start off by talking to them when you know that they're going to have um, time to talk when you're both calm, no one's drinking, you know, no alcohol involved and express your, your concern in a very caring way. So avoiding any kind of blame, judgment, maybe, um, Get them to open up a little bit about about why they've been drinking, if they've been experiencing any new any new stressors or anything, um, increased loneliness or anxiety, or if they even see their alcohol use as a problem, because a lot of people don't. So it's it's actually um, you know alcoholism is really marked by denial of their of their drinking and the problem that they're having. So it's normal for you know expect a little bit of pushback when you're when you're bringing up your concern to a loved one and realize you might need to have a few of these conversations with them before they 
they acknowledge that their alcohol use is problematic and um, and are really ready to change and try not to you know act negatively when they do this. But you can really start. There's a lot of different places you could start in terms of getting them help. So you could even just go to your primary care doctor, bring that up. You could um, bring them to a counseling session, therapy session, an AA meeting. You could call it helpline. And uh, sometimes for someone who's who has an alcohol problem or is an alcoholic, it can be a little scary to. Um, to kind of start off with this. So you might wanna to offer to accompany them to one of these sessions if they want that. Another thing you could do is if they're having, um, if they're experiencing any medical side effects from their drinking, if they're you know, at the GI doctor with horrible gastritis or a liver problem, you can enlist the help of the doctor there to sort of explain to the patient the relationship that alcohol has on their physical health and really encourage treatment. To our listeners, please do us a favor and give us a five-star rating on whichever streaming service you're listening to. And we'd love to hear your feedback, as well as any suggestions you have for future topics. You can email us at baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. That's baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay safe and mask up. Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at baptisthealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.